last week, uh, we got to light the first candle as we celebrated the coming of the Word of God that was present in creation into the world. As we are going through the first chapter, the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, and today we celebrate that uh, the light of the world is also present in Jesus, and as he was born into the world, the light of God that he spoke into creation was the light he continued to speak as Jesus was born, and it's the light he continues to speak into our lives today and in this Christmas season. As we continue in our series, we're uh, following along this uh, first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, which is kind of an unusual Christmas passage. It's not a, a typical passage, but we wanted to recognize that if, if you spend time this season kind of reflectively reading through, prayerfully reading through those first 18 verses, what we see going on in the Gospel of John, it, it, there's the, the story of Christmas is woven in there, but more importantly is the meaning behind the story of Christmas. And it's so important that we understand the meaning of the story to help us focus in on why we celebrate Christmas and why it's important for us each year to remember these precious promises of God that he made all those ages ago that continue to be fulfilled in our lives today. Last week, Pastor Jeff kicked us off uh, going through verses one through five, and he talked about how in this season of anticipation and hope, the Christmas season can also become kind of a, a chaos carnival. <laughs> I love that phrase. That was an awesome phrase. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep using that because our lives can be so, become so busy and chaotic and confusing in the midst of the Christmas season and in so many seasons of our lives that it's easy for us to get distracted from the hope that we're supposed to be reminded of in this season. So as we enter into the Christmas season again this year, here at Faith Covenant Church, we want to suggest to you that in the midst of the weariness of this world that we live in, in the midst of the weariness of our own lives, there's a purity of purpose to the season of Christmas that deserves our attention again this year. And that as we focus in on the purpose of Christmas, we can renew our hope and we can find God's light in our lives again in this season. So in that spirit, I want to invite you to join me in prayer one more time as we enter into a time of looking into God's word. Would you pray with me? God, we do thank you that you are a God who speaks, that in creation you spoke through your word to bring life into existence and, and that your light shone in the darkness. And that because of that light and that life, we have life today. We ask that you would speak through your word again. And that through your son, Jesus, who is present with us now, that word that was present in creation, you can speak new life into us today and in this season of Christmas. It's in that hope that we pray. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Zach and his wife, Beth... Uh, as a couple, were really strong in their faith. Both Zach and Beth came from ministry families, and uh, uh, they were a long, uh, come from a long line of members who had given their lives uh, to ministry. In fact, Zach, too, had become a member of the clergy and was serving in a very large faith community. And yet, in spite of their faith, 
And in spite of the, the honor of this family history and this legacy that they had inherited and, and, and the outward measure of success that by all rights you could say that they had attained, Zach and Beth carried within them a, a deep disappointment in their lives. See, Zach and Beth struggled with infertility for many years. They had prayed and prayed and it just seemed like God wasn't listening or that God had some other plan that he wasn't cluing them in on that they couldn't quite figure out. Now, to their credit, in the midst of their disappointment, they didn't become bitter and they didn't blame God. But it wasn't just disappointment that they carried with them as a result of their infertility. In the quieter moments of their lives, truth be told, they also felt somewhat ashamed and kind of disgraced because they were unable to have children. Life doesn't always work out the way we hope it will, does it? These kinds of experiences in life can test our faith. Why do bad things happen to good people? Where was God in the midst of Zach and Beth's story? If you think about it, their story isn't an unusual story. Many of us have experienced infertility or know someone who has. It's one of those disappointments in life. For those of us who have gone through that and our family can, can speak into this, we know the questioning and the doubts and the pain that can be involved from the wondering and the waiting and the praying and wondering if God even cares. And yet, isn't it true that all of us at one time or another in our lives experience that pain of disappointment? The brokenness of unfulfilled dreams and hopes, the fading of hope in our lives or relationships that we thought were forever, and yet somehow they've fallen apart. You see, Christmas can be a joyful season in life, right? And yet, it can also be an emotionally challenging season and it can be a difficult season in our lives. It can be a, a weary season because the very joyfulness of the holiday season can serve to highlight our disappointments and kind of begin to, to poke at our pain and our loss. In spite of the Christmas invitation to be joyful, can we honestly say that we live in a weary world and many of us live weary lives which may explain why many of us need help to cope with the, the stress of Christmas. Isn't that kind of an ironic statement? The stress of Christmas? However, in this series and in this season, I want to suggest that if we are mindful of the miracle of the incarnation of Christ, of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, we discover that we can rejoice in that redemptive hope that God has for us in spite of the disappointments and the failures and the losses that we experience and the weariness of life in this world. Now, to help us do that this Christmas, as I said, we're spending four weeks looking at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And last week, we looked at verses 1 through 5 that began in the gospel of John saying, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, though through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a statement of hope and faith that is true for you and for me this morning, no matter what we might be going through, no matter what darkness we might be seeking to overcome in our own lives. 
Today we continue into verses 6 through 8, where it goes on to say, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. You see, men and women, Zach and Beth's story isn't an unusual story in the midst of human history. What is unusual about Zach and Beth's story is that it's the story of Christmas. Because the story of Christmas actually begins with their story. You see, it's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth that can be found in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. Now, we don't have time to read their whole story, but I invite you to, to go back and read the story of Zach and Beth and see where God showed up in the midst of their own pain and disappointment. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both from family lines of priests in the nation of Israel. Both of them were righteous before God, the the, the text tells us. They hadn't done anything wrong. It wasn't that God was punishing them for something. God was just mysteriously absent and blessing them in their lives because they were childless. It says Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both getting on in years. Now, Keep in mind, being childless was both a personal issue and a social issue in their culture. For an ancient Israelite, it was part of God's promise to bless the nation of Israel and to bless the whole world through them by giving them heirs to the promise. So to be without children and especially to be without sons was very difficult and it was experienced as a shameful and a disgraceful reality in their lives. It would cause someone to question, do I I not have favor with God? Does God not love me? Is there something wrong with me? Yet I also want us to focus on the fact that there's a broader pattern of life illustrated in the story of Zach and Beth. Life doesn't always work out the way we hope it will. A friendship falls apart. Someone we are in love with breaks up with us and breaks our heart. A job that we had relied upon evaporates or we spend, we experience long periods of seeking new employment and we just can't find a job that will support our, our, our lifestyle or our family or our young adult kids begin to make unhealthy choices in their lives. An illness strikes our body or the, the body of someone we love or our parents get divorced or, we can't, or they cannot care for us in the way we need, and we actually have to go and live somewhere else. Many, many of our life circumstances can cause us to feel disappointment or even disgrace and shame because we wonder, does God love me? Is there something wrong with me? Yet in the midst of our uncertainty and our doubt in this life, Christmas comes along and reminds us of the message of hope, of God breaking into our world, of God coming to meet us in the place where we are. In verse 6 of John chapter 1, it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now think about it. That's a very simple sentence in in this larger text of John. But this one simple sentence encapsulates the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the promise of hope that was fulfilled by God in their lives. 
You see, and it's in their story that we learn to trust that God knows our own painful situations. God, too, has a plan of hope to to rescue us and to redeem us and not to harm us. It's not that God doesn't love us. It's not that God isn't aware. It's that he wants us to wait on him to fulfill his promises in our lives. And his promise is that he will bring joy even in the midst of the darkness and the weariness of life in this world. Fear and doubt, disappointment are often the things that make us weary in life. And yet, in Zach and Elizabeth's story, the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, and he was afraid. He doubted whether God was able to be real for him. And you see, when God's truth, though, is revealed to us, doesn't it often first cause us to be afraid? Do we really trust God with our lives? Can we really believe that God is going to come through for us? Because I want to suggest that God often challenges our core assumptions and shatters our human expectations of what life should really be about. And we often wrongly think that when life gets difficult, that God must somehow be angry with us or is punishing us or has abandoned us. But if you go and you read the story, the angel of the Lord came to Zechariah and he said, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, the angel said, and many others will rejoice because of his birth. You see, that's the the backstory to verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Well, that doesn't sound like a very big deal, but it's the biggest deal there is because God is showing that he's fulfilling his promises. God is saying he will come through for you. And in this reference, he's going all the way back to the fulfillment of the original promise to Abraham where God said, I will bless you. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. In Zach and Beth's story, we can see the thread of the prophetic promises of God becoming fulfilled in history. When the angel talks about who their son John would be, I just want to look at verse 17 of Luke chapter 1. It tells us he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, why is this passage significant? Well, if we follow the thread of God's prophetic promises through the Bible, we'll see that Luke 1, 17 refers to God's promise in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 5 where he said, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Now, scholars suggest if you go back and you track this thread of prophetic promises from God, that in the biblical record in the Old Testament, this is the last known word from God in the Old Testament. 400 years before Jesus was born. Now, fast forward 400 years, and where does the New Testament begin? In Luke chapter 1, but God fulfills this promise to Zach and Beth in the birth of John the Baptist. The last place he left off is where he picks up in the New Testament, and the story of Christmas begins with a promise fulfilled. 
It becomes the first place where God's new plan emerges in human history with a promise fulfilled to Zach and Beth, a promise whose name was John. He was a man sent from God. In verse 7, it says, He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. Out of barrenness, God brings life. After 400 years of darkness, light, in the midst of human weariness, God promises that he will break into our lives, bringing his hope and bringing his joy. You see, God once again becomes the God of the impossible. God has used Zach and Beth's struggle to manifest the promise of hope for the whole world through the gift of a son. Fear and doubt and disgrace turn to freedom and excitement and rejoicing when God shows up. Can you imagine how Zach and Beth's family were impacted by God showing up in their lives? And their blessing then becomes a sign of blessing to to all the families of the earth. Even Elizabeth herself testifies, God has done this for me. How does God want to impact you this Christmas season? Where does God's promise want to find fulfillment in your life in this season of new birth? What are the barren places in your life today where where you've been hoping for God to do something new, for new life to spring forth, for a new energy, a new excitement, a new faith? to be birthed in you? How does God want to impact your family in this season of hope? How will God break into whatever weariness you're experiencing and shine his light into your life? Now, it might not be a son named John. For some of you, it might be. But nonetheless, God's message of hope is for you. You see, the focus here in the Gospel of John as we go through these critically important verses that that are setting up the story of Jesus is that the God who spoke in creation continues to speak into human history and calls people to be his witnesses to testify that this light, this word, this truth is real and active and living in us. John becomes an example of this for us. In a long history of prophets sent by God to communicate his word and to remind people of these promises that he has fulfilled, we are too called to be witnesses to that word and to that light in our own lives. God calls us through Jesus himself to follow him as his disciples and to be his witnesses to the whole world. Isn't that really what Christmas is all about. See, when we celebrate Christmas as Christians, we're telling the story of the true light that came into the world. We too are sent by Jesus into the darkness of the world to tell the story of God's amazing grace and his incredible love as we celebrate the reality of the incarnation of God in Jesus, which is the gift of Christmas, right? But it's not just at Christmas time that we're supposed to testify to the light. It's, it's every day, in every way. Our very lives and our relationships become a gift that we give away on behalf of the love of God for others. 
There's one final thing I'd like to suggest for us at this point that is in this text if we're willing to pay attention to it. It might not seem, or it might seem obvious on the surface, but I think for us in our day and in our age, it might be a word of hope. It might be some good news in the midst of the weariness of our own lives. Verse 8, he says, He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. I'm going to say something really radical this morning, and I hope you're not too shocked by it. Do you realize this morning that you are not the Messiah? Now we laugh, but how many times do you and I, and I'm the first to confess this morning, take the reins of our lives and somehow think we can be the Lord of our lives and in our own wisdom and our own strength, we can manage our lives and our relationships and produce the happiness that we so longingly desire. Anyone? You are not the Messiah. You don't have the wisdom or the strength in your own life to pull that all together and to make it happen. I'm not the Messiah. As your pastor, I can't make that happen for you. Faith Covenant Church is not the Messiah. We're going to disappoint you. We're going to let you down. We're going to disappoint one another. When we put our faith in ourselves and in our own strength, we run the risk of missing the whole point is that grace comes as a free gift and we all need a savior in our lives. You're not the Messiah. Guess what? That's good news. (laughs) God never intended you or me to carry the entire weight of the world on our shoulders or to save the world. That's why he sent his son. Our job is to receive the grace and the mercy of God, to know that, that, that we are all broken and sinful and in our, in our own brokenness, and even because of our pain, we risk not receiving the gift of grace and allowing the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Savior of our lives. You see, when we, when we give up on our own wisdom and our own strength and we admit that, that we don't have what it takes, but Jesus does, and we turn our lives over to him, you know what we discover is that he makes his life all about us. And he pours his love and his mercy into our lives, and he gives us the gift of his light and his love that we then use to love one another. What better gift can we receive and what better gift can we give this Christmas than to recognize that without Jesus, we got nothing. We can't do this life in our own strength. He himself, John, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. I want to go quickly read a story about John later in chapter 3 because there's a story about, about John and his disciples when Jesus comes on the scene, and some of you are probably familiar with this, but in chapter 3, verse 26, he begins, it says, They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. Right? This guy, Jesus, comes and everybody's going after him. John, you're losing all your followers. You're losing all your street cred. Your, your fame is going down. What are you going to do about it? You got to step up and look out for number one. You got to take care of your peeps here, right? But John says, a person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. 
The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when? When he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. See, men and women, when we begin to think that we're the groom, when we think we're supposed to stand in that first place, we try to stand in the place of Jesus in our own lives, we think we're the Lord of our lives and our destiny, and we seek the glory and the position that isn't rightfully our own. We expect everyone else to begin to cater to us and to our preferences and our needs. And in the process, we're disappointed over and over again because everybody else just keeps letting us down. You ever been there? Ultimately, what happens is we're really disappointing ourselves. And sometimes we become our own worst critics because we were never meant to be the Messiah. God invites us to stand with Jesus. He is the groom. He is the one who stands in first place. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. See, Christmas is a time to remember that life is not intended to be all about me. It's all about him. And yet in Christ we discover that God has made it all about us. Jesus is the bridegroom that arrives to answer our deepest fears and our deepest longings. When our fears and our disappointments cause us to question whether we can even have hope in the world and whether God loves us or not, we see his answer to us in the outstretched arms of Jesus when he says, I do. I do. Forever and ever, I do. And as we discover the light and love of God in Christ Jesus, we then are able to tell the story to others where God showed up in the midst of our weariness and gave us a fresh step, a, a new light, a great energy that doesn't come from ourselves, but comes from his love and his grace in our lives. As we give our lives to him in response, we discover that it's his love in us that brings hope and joy. Even in the midst of our difficulty, he must become greater and I must become less. As we wrap up this morning in the midst of a weary, weary world and the weariness sometimes in our own bones, there's a purity of purpose to Christmas that deserves our attention again this year. Even in our weariness, we can fall on our knees. We can hear the angel voices. And in wonder and in awe, we can be reminded of the amazing gift that God gave when he became one of us to remind us that we don't have to be the savior of the world. He's got you covered. We simply have to humble ourselves and say yes and receive that gift again in our lives. It's in that purity of purpose that we discover that weariness and joy are not mutually exclusive experiences in our life. 
but that God meets us in the place of our deepest longing and our deepest need and brings his joy to fulfillment in our lives. The gift of Christmas is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen? Let's pray.